is it possible that we as humans have that whole idea of how a relationship is supposed to work? Not wrong, but just we're looking at it from only one perspective and that may potentially be counter to our, our actual nature. And it's this idea that like, by really examining the framework that we, you know, that we've, we structure everything on, we might actually come across new ways of understanding ourselves and other people, I guess. Welcome to the podcast, Is It Normal? I am your host, Rachel. I am a certified coach and creator of Courageously You, which is where I help women who are feeling lost in their relationships to get clear about who they are so they can be the courageous decision makers in their lives. Is It Normal? is the space where I interview guests, they share their stories and experience of their Is It Normal? questions, and we have honest conversations about who we are in our relationships. Episodes come out every Tuesday, followed every Friday by a how-to guide to help you tackle the things that are stopping you from feeling yourself, being yourself, and feeling blooming marvellous about who you are in your relationship. Hello, your host Rachel here. Welcome to this week's episode. Is it normal to question what you've been taught about relationships? Now this week I am talking to Nelante. He is a friend, an ex-colleague of mine and something that we used to love to do on our lunch break would go for a walk, have lunch, have a chat and just have like really deep philosophical conversations about the meaning of life and other matters. So I've actually got a slightly different format today because this episode is based around a book that we've both read called Sex at Dawn, The Prehistoric Origins of Modern Sexuality. It's about evolution of monogamy in humans and human mating systems. I will share the link to that in the show notes along with some other books that we mention along the way as well. So it's a little bit more philosophical, a little bit more based around just discussion on the concepts that come up in the book, but then also how we can apply that to the way that we think about our own romantic relationships. We talk about things like paternity certainty and models of evolutionary psychology that are discussed in this book that actually might not be as accurate as we think that they are how the social and cultural context during the Victorian times influenced Charles Darwin's theory of evolution and therefore how we've understood modern sexuality in a way that could actually be a little bit outdated at this point. We talk about the biggie that comes up in this book, agriculture. That might seem strange to you right now. It was strange to me before I read it, but basically about how the onset of agriculture has a lot to answer for when it comes to the introduction of a patriarchal society, of the way that women were seen as property, and how that has actually led to the formation of monogamy being the standard to which we live our lives. Unlike what is quite often claimed which is that monogamy is just a biological fundamental part of being a human. We interpret that within our own context, do we think that monogamy is the way forward or not? And I love at the end Nalante gives such a good summary as to how this shared fantasy that has been created through the way that society has shaped our lives can be broken down to interpret your own relationship. You can find the show notes for this one at courageouslyyou.co.uk forward slash 20. As always, links to any books that we mention and a written blog version of this as well. Let's do it. Sweet, we can just dive in. I'm excited to so this is the first time that I've done this kind of format where there's like a book to go off um and I'm excited because me me and Alante had a chat 
a couple months ago, didn't we? Where we like, we were talking about books that we'd read and he said like, oh, I love once I've read a book to like digest it and talk it through with someone, but no one's ever really read the same stuff as me. Um, and I'd been talking about this book I'd read, but wasn't specific. And then I sent him a photo afterwards and he was like, I've read that one. I was like, ah, yes, <laughs> we can talk about it. So naturally then I was like, you must go, you must come speak on a podcast to me. <laughs> you lured me out of my hiding. Um, yeah, it was actually really interesting because it, it fits quite neatly into a lot of the topics we talk about just in general. Um, so yeah, I thought it's, uh, it kind of fits that it's one of the ones that would come up, you'd, you'd come across in many ways actually. So I'm glad we yeah. made it. <laughs> yeah. Let's digest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's digest and unpick. Um, so I'll put, put the link to what the book is in the show notes, but it's Sex at Dawn how we mate, why we stray, and what it means for modern relationships uh, by Christopher Ryan and Cecilda Jeffer. I've probably butchered that, but that's what it looks like phonetically. Um, but yeah, I'll put that link in the show notes. So my like initial question is what, what was your motivation for reading the book in the first place? Okay, so I guess there was a, a couple really. I think the, um, so my background is, um, well, kind of human sciences, I guess is probably the best it's literally the title of my degree, I guess, <laughs> my, my bachelor's. But um, essentially we did as part of that um, bit of, well, behavioral science um, and psychology as well. And I think that those kind of topics broadly have interested me, but the real way that I kind of got into reading books kind of in this sort of uh, genre about like the, the evolution of behavioral psychology was kind of um, through books like um, Sapiens, but more specifically one called uh, Guns, Germs and Steel. And that's, um, those are two books that I think were like, really interesting about very broad topics but they kind of like explain to uh, well help me understand how and why people behave the way they do and i think that's just one of the things that fascinates me trying to like it really these books are kind of like i feel like they're a kind of key to understanding behaviors that you wouldn't normally be able to understand or, or you, you don't you can't look at it and be like oh i would do that in that situation it's just kind of helped help me understand why do people do that in that situation yeah and actually that's probably the same a really good description of my motivation to read it because I'm really interested I guess in the concept of monogamy generally just from the angle of you see so much about affairs um you know like not being faithful and I've always had this thing in my head that's like I don't understand how something that is so not okay and heartbreaking and difficult to go through is also just so common and that was probably my main motivation which is like how do we understand how people behave like why people are behaving in that way and does that help you then be more accepting or more understanding of the complexities of it if you know where it's coming from yeah definitely and and i guess this is where it kind of came to the, the, the personal angle of it for me because um i guess i'm trying to think i probably would have been between somewhere between 11 to 12 years into like a committed relationship with like the i guess um the woman who's now my wife um and like mm-hmm. essentially so so I've, I've kind of at the time i was engaged one of the things about this book is it kind of presents itself as trying to explain how these behaviors come about and how um, or what, what, what the natural impulses are and it's I think that like going into that phase of like transitioning from being I guess more officially single if that makes sense so if you be engaged to married I kind of really wanted to to understand like how um, the, 
the challenges might present themselves and what the challenges are and where other people come unstuck if that makes sense there's almost like you're trying to give myself an advantage in the whole marriage thing by saying like okay here's the things you might come up may come across and here's so it's quite interesting in 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 that from that perspective but um i guess also just because i feel like i know i do have a few friends who don't view themselves as monogamous, monogamous in any way and I think that like mm. there's always this thing of when you see someone living a life very different from the one you've chosen, you kind of like, have I got it right or have they got it right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Totally. Totally. And I think it removes a level of maybe shame or confusion or frustration just to understand what other people like, why other people are living that way or why we might have certain thoughts and feelings yeah and where that might come from i mean and this is tricky because mm-hmm. i guess it, it's it's an interesting one to discuss because for me it wasn't really a way of trying to make any decided choices on what to do with my relationship or how my relationship should be it's more just insight into how people behave and therefore kind of any of the impulses that i may come across then do how do i contextualize them how do i understand them again because like i think for a lot of people they there, there is this thing of like um, a relationship is supposed to go a particular way and when it strays it must be because I've done something or there's something wrong with me and people put a lot of pressure on that because they feel something but maybe it's the case that some of the things you feel are things that yeah yeah you're supposed to feel that and you're supposed to kind of move past it but then in this whole thing of me saying supposed to it kind of there's this kind of presupposed um set of ideals that we have about relationships about you know the, the idea that they're one one person to one person and that then you, you make one and you never break it and if you break it something's wrong with you it or the universe or whatever um and this book kind of comes from a very different perspective it's a case of like actually maybe that whole maybe, maybe that whole kind of board you're playing on isn't even the only type of board that you can kind of play this game on if you know what i mean or maybe it's not even exactly yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's such a good way of putting it. And I had that almost, I'm not, I'm not sure if internal conflict's the right word, but like I have this book hanging around the house and I show people that I read in this book and people have an interesting reaction that's like, oh, oh, how we mate? Oh, why we stray? Oh, and it's like, what I loved about it is it's a completely different perspective. And then you can choose what you do with that information. So it's not saying like, oh, I mean, and we'll dig into in some of the like the themes that come up but it's not that it's not like it's saying your ancestors actually were completely non-monogamous go run wild and free break all of the boundaries it's just it's kind of saying maybe it's helpful to understand that all of the things that you've been told or taught might not necessarily not all of them but you know some of the things that you've been taught or told might not necessarily be true or exactly true in the way that they think they are uh, the way that you think they are um, and then you go like, okay, what do I do with this information? Like, how do I contextualize this within my own monogamous relationship? Or if you're not somebody that practices monogamy, then within your own context as well. Yeah, that's right. I really agree with you. And I'd, I'd say that um, it's even, it's very interesting, the fact that, so I, to sort of kind of frame it, I listened to the audio book of it um, and you read the physical book. Now, when you read a physical book, people can see you reading a physical book. They might have seen me reading the audio book and thinking, oh, he's just listening to Wu-Tang Clan again. And so like when you, you when so essentially like there is this thing of um, I guess that the, not so much that I 
is accommodated is people must maybe potentially look at it and think, oh, wow, does that mean you're planning to do this? Or does that mean, and kind of reading things into it. But it's really, I think the way mm-hmm. I came across it and the way the process in terms of coming to read it, it was more a case of trying to, um, to understand, is it possible that we as humans have the whole idea of how a relationship is supposed to work. Not wrong, but just we're looking at it from only one perspective and that may potentially be counter to our, our actual nature. And it's this idea that like, by really examining the framework that we, you know, that we've, we structure everything on, we might actually come across new ways of understanding ourselves and other people, I guess. Yeah, and I think the whole, the kind of premise of the book is almost unpicking what is it about our like relationships and sexual behavior that is biological to our species versus socially constructed? And even though there's almost an, I don't know, when I was talking, I mentioned it to somebody and they were a bit like, does it even matter? Like what, what's the, di- it's, 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 it's the way we are now. So what's important. But for me, it's like, if, if you're saying something is fundamental to our species and actually, as this book argues, a lot of it's not, it's more socially constructed. Then I think a lot of this inner conflict and inner battle that we have is almost that like what is natural to us versus what is imposed and what we should do. And I think it just helps explain some of that behavior that isn't in line with how we think we should be. No, I, I could almost draw, you can almost draw an analogy. It's just like, you can see someone kind of clawing and bumping into bars that people are telling them aren't there. As in, it's, people are kind of like, it's almost like you're in a cage and people say to you, you're not in a cage. This is normal. And it's just like, no, but you know what I mean? There's like, something is missing from this yeah. picture. And I think that like yes. that really, um, in many ways, I think the, the thing that I actually took from this book, the, the, the biggest and most, I guess one of the bigger things, wasn't really even about necessarily um, just sex and relationships. It's almost about the idea that society is so much more powerful than our nature. I think, as in like, I think as a social, as a social animal, it's almost like social evolution and biological evolution. They feel like they've got almost like the same punching power. It doesn't really feel like we're yeah. just driven by biology. It feels like our, how our society evolves has almost as much impact on how we behave. And that's, I think, something that like, if you just say that, you know, oh, human beings are biologically designed to do that, you kind of almost undermine the fact of how powerful the sociological constructs that inform what we do and how we behave and how we act actually are. And I think that's, that's what you're, you're saying, right? It's- yeah, and actually to add to that, something I took away from this book was, I hadn't quite realized up until, until this point, the power that that social idea then has on the research that we do and how we the lens that we look at things through so one of the things they talk about a lot is the the flintstonization of (laughs) prehistory and it's basically explaining how we when we interpret the behavior of hunter gatherer forager societies we are interpreting their behavior through the lens of what we now know and so one of the things that absolutely blew my mind about this book was which seems so obvious now, was the whole idea about like paternity certainty. I remember doing evolutionary psychology in my degree and I didn't, I didn't learn, it was sort of part of an introductory module, so I didn't go into loads of depth. But I always remember learning in evolutionary psychology about this idea that, you know, there's this evolutionary theory that men have this like alpha male dominance because it's important for them to be certain that if they are impregnating a female, 
that that offspring is theirs. And I was like, okay, yeah, it makes sense to me, right? But then what this book is basically saying is that isn't a product of our species and a product of our biology. That is a social construction because we are looking at that through the lens that our ancestors understood how a sperm and an egg works. Yeah. And that was the bit for me where I was like, oh my God, that's, that is so true. Like they didn't know that, that a sperm and an egg made a baby. And there's also evidence that they used to, when they had multiple partners, if a baby was born, they would then see that baby as having multiple fathers. Yeah. Like it was, you know, that whole idea of like, it takes a village. They would raise the baby as a community. And so you go, oh my goodness, we are looking at this through a lens of what we now know about biology that they had no idea yeah. about. No, 100%. Yeah, and even, even um, I think a lot of the... Um, there was some interesting stuff in there about even like potentially Darwin's view is you it really I think it's this, this point where sometimes history and science don't necessarily um are not aren't necessarily in the same room when they should be because it would be you know someone could say that Dar Charles Darwin you know he, he actually discovered evolution right but essentially they don't they leave out the fact he was a from Victorian England to when he mm -hmm. was making these discoveries. And obviously the way that they viewed the world informed some of the ways that he then interpreted what he was discovering. And it's been, a, it's, it's really the case where, even as a, as a fundamental point, it does make you question that actually, if, how did the person who made this discovery view the world? Because to a certain extent, it might need to be taken another look and sometimes need to be taken at different things. Because it comes to the other topic of um, which of our uh, closest relatives, in inverted commas, um, in the closest uh, relatives as, species. yeah, one of the closest related species to us in evolutionary speaking, mm -hmm. um, would be chimpanzees. I think that's doing the, their behavior and then interpreting it on our own. It potentially could be a mistake because I, I remember a colleague of mine was saying to me that, yeah, bonobos, bonobos, you know, you should look at bonobos and this. And I, I remember thinking to myself, that's so a weird fringe thing to think, but then actually what this book actually presents is actually quite compelling evidence that yeah, bonobos, their behavior might be actually closer um, in terms of our genetics as a, species, as a species is actually quite an interesting perspective because they behave very differently. Bonobos, um, they kind of, they exchange sex for um, food, um, to use sex as a way of re resolving conflicts. It's like not a massively, mm. it's not a male driven society. And all of these are ideas that like fit very closely with our current, uh, most people's understanding of evolution, you know, uh, sorry, not evolution, but how males have in our society have evolved to behave. An alpha male, you know, has to be strong, has to um, make other people submit. He attracts all of the females and, you know, resolves things with, with violence and strength and stuff. But it might be the case that actually maybe that's, that's the wrong way of expecting us to be. Maybe we should be looking at more of the bonobos and thinking how do how do they resolve things? And not necessarily, you know, the two countries would get get their 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 heads of state together in a room to, you know, <laughs> make each other feel better or anything. <laughs> but at the same time, it's just a case of like, you know, maybe there is something about a softer approach that these animals seem to use, which maybe we should be thinking about for ourselves. Which is an interesting one. Yeah. Yeah, and like the argument they present on that is that we, to your point around like history and science, we use the argument of chimpanzee or what we or one, you know, science, evolutionary psychology, um, uses the argument that we are similar to chimpanzees and therefore our behavior and how we interact in our relationships um, should be monogamous and should be in line with chimpanzees. But then they 
care because that fits the narrative that we've the social narrative that we've got around marriage and commitment and monogamy but then you look at bonobos which this book is arguing is are actually more genetically similar to us and their behavior is complete well i say completely different to human much in many respects much more in line with humans which is as you said like using sex not just to reproduce but for a variety of different needs and generally in the way that they structure their societies and stuff so it's that element of like how I, I i guess history has influenced the scientific narrative around these these topics um and to what you said on darwin i was just trying to find a quote a quote about it because there is something interesting about this idea of like the coy female in like a um like a patriarchal society and they're just explaining that like Darwin, you know, he's not going to come out in Victorian England and start talking about the sexuality of women and females. Exactly. Like it's just not, <laughs> it's not going to be brought to anyone's attention. And it's just interesting to see then how that shapes what we think relationships should be. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think that's really, um, it's really interesting to kind of, to know that if, if you'd have had Darwin born in 2021 and have all the different kind of the, the more, modern views of sex sexuality gender would mm -hmm. the would we look at evolution in the same way and it's potentially actually maybe we might not um but then it also gets, comes to another point because um when we sometimes view human behavior we forget about how much of an impact society has on how we behave and it may actually be the case you can flip that around and think to yourself well i don't know maybe chimpanzees in certain places behave that way as chimpanzees because that's how their society is behaved is that how much Ooh. of actual behavior is actually about the environment and this comes back to the nature and nurture things as well because in fact and I, I know i'm going to go off another one but essentially right one of the things that really fascinates me about these is that um these kind of ideas is that if I, I have to think to myself if I was born in a different place in a different society would I behave mm -hmm. differently and the evidence is strongly yeah probably so if I was born mm. in a non-monogamous society in um you know in hunter-gatherer times would I be someone who would just be like why would I need to be with, with a single partner what does that would I find true love does true love even exist is that at that point so and this is a, you know one of the questions that I, that, that I love the, these kind of books for. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting what you say there about like the, with chimpanzees, for them, what is social versus biology? Yeah. And, and, it, and it is some, it's hard to unpick, I guess, isn't it? Which is partly what this book's trying to do is it's trying to give you the, the other perspective on that of what is intrinsic to our species or not. You know what? Like if, I, if I go to one topic in particular, which was paternity certainty, um, that I think that that one was something that, like, it's actually really interesting because for me, right, um, growing up, and then I don't want to say this in a negative way because I think that, like, for me, this actually the book actually helped to validate some of the things that I've actually seen growing up. Right, is that mm. as um, in a lot of the in the black community, there's like quite a few of my friends that I grew up with did didn't they had absent fathers and I'd say it's not so much necessarily the case where it's like uh, um you know they're like oh that's because the, the culture is that way but it's is there is a flip side to it in that there, there's strong female characters that raise the children and it's usually supported by a strong community and this is it kind of goes into a lot of social issues about you know where 
people have moved from those communities, etc. But if, if if you look at mm. countries like um like some of my Jamaican friends have told me that in Jamaica you you might have an absent father, but you have a strong community where the mother, the grandmother, they're all strong characters, and they, everyone in that community pulls together and, and you know like and looks after all the kids essentially it's not so much a case of saying that like right. you know it's it's, it's it's not monogamous or anything but it's like there are certain structures that you can see have evolved in different ways so the the idea that when you view others the other cultures even through the same lens of what, what we're talking about it sometimes gives the impression that you know they're not doing it right or there's something wrong there but it's actually a case of saying well actually maybe maybe look at it slightly differently maybe that there are some really good things there maybe there are some good things about like having a culture because you know a community raise a child rather than just two individuals because my god like the pressure that that puts on two people yes. <laughs> right to then say like yeah. everything that happens to these children your offspring is on your head and no one is going to help you how that's that's a lot more pressure than kind of like you know everyone looking out for the, everyone in the neighborhood looking out for the kids so i thought that was that's an interesting way to do it and i, I know it's, it's kind of like i'm trying to be delicate with it because i don't want to um give the impression that black men are not like good father figures because i intend to be one myself um and i do know of some really great father figures who are black men and know that i uh, know a lot of black men who are you know present in their child's lives and everything like that but just you know as i was growing up it's something that you kind of look around and see and you kind of think to yourself like why is why why potentially is that and it may not be the case that it's like a um a cultural thing that's you know it, it may be the case where there are structures that have helped to support in situations that may otherwise have been worse if that makes sense yeah 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 and completely to your point on that's a, a lot of pressure like if you're gonna tackle parenthood in isolation like that is a lot of pressure to put on one person or two people right and like the value you can get from a community and a support network it makes me think about what they talk about in the book is that switch to agriculture and how this was the other thing that blew my mind oh, yeah. many minds being blown everywhere is if you think about that in terms of what you were just saying around what is ours and what is theirs it became less about a community and it became like I am settling on this land I am drawing a boundary around what is mine and that seems to be such a ma like such a massive thing in terms of then what was socially acceptable because then you your wife is something that belongs to you and that's how it started right it was property it was like she is mine this is my land this is our belongings this is our you know and what they're arguing is that this like patriarchal society i guess is not a product of our species and men needing to biologically know that their childs are theirs it is a product of a world where in agriculture it is mine me versus you yeah. and mine versus yours 100 and and in fact like um that that i think that is a that concept really blew my mind when i read it and it's this um it is a shift from peak the land being something that people would um you know that, that was that gave everything to you that you you know it, you, you could find your shelter and you could find your food and that you could find 
to a case where you can have more, but now it's on you and you have to restrict everything and things have to belong to you and you can't let everyone, anyone else have them. And, and yes, they, they, in many ways it applies to the, to the, you know, the farming, but actually it also applies to sex and relationships as well. Is in like, if you're mm-hmm. suddenly now moved from this place where, you know, you've got a tribe of 150 hunter gatherers and you kind of do stuff together. And now you say, no, no, I'm going to take this bit of land. It's me, my wife and my kids. You don't then want, you know, want, people interfering with your lands coming in and you know taking your food or and then many cases that people extend that kind of um that restriction to their to their relationships and they, essentially in many ways it kind of the book frames that that shift in humanity as being the real point at which monogamy became really important because then it's something where you mm. can't now share things you can't share everything and I, I, i'm gonna uh, here's a i'll tell you something a secret right I mean, it's not too secret because it's a podcast, but you know, I, I, I listened to this audio book and I did something that I never thought I would do. So now this, when people hear this, they'll probably think to yourself, wait, you listen to a book called Sex at Dawn, why would cheat and how would you, and he did something you never thought he would do. What did he, and actually, no, I, I started writing a short story. If you can believe that. Did you? Yeah, because the reason, the reason is, and I, I don't know why I didn't finish it, so it's nothing for anyone to read yet. But um, the reason I did is because for me, that idea that you could wait, wake up one morning and you can go from the world being oh it's not necessary you wouldn't be waking up in one morning it's something so so you know instantaneous there'd be stages to it but you either you could go from a world where they gave you everything the world that where everything was free shared everything belonged to everything to where suddenly it was you the things you can't have and therefore people become the enemy because they want your things Mm -hmm. that is a real shift and it's something that like um the idea and the concept of it it's just it's much like as a paradigm shift, it's huge because then you can you can say well why wage a war when you know nature is abundant if all of a sudden yeah. nature is not abundant it changes everything and yeah and it's kind of it reminds me of some of the other books i mentioned where um a lot of the they, they actually i think they mark that as a shift when, when mankind went from hunter gatherer to um to you know living uh, to, to farming and uh, agriculture agricultural uh, civilizations they actually I think they marked that as a change when people start, the, the way they even viewed their gods changed I think as far as I understand it they stopped viewing mother earth as the thing that gave is but instead it's it's now a male dominated god it's a patriarchy of like it's god is in like this you have because you have people coming together and they start right. to kind of tie all the different the elements of their own folklore together and that's where they construct these gods who you, you can't have two people you know move to an agricultural center and say you know yeah my god is uh, is the god of this and he does this and this or my god's blah blah and he does it and so actually they must be different faces of the same god so this is how the, those gods actually became more powerful and they had to be you know they were male because they controlled things and they restricted just as the power structures mm. did there and that's something that like um I, th- I found really interesting in the idea of like how we even you know how human beings conceptualize their own existence even changed at that stage mm-hmm. that like the world was no longer abundant it was about you know protecting things and s- striking people down and stuff <laughs> to yeah punishment and as you say that it reminded me that like I almost had to have a bit of a word with myself because when I got to this point in the book where I kind of felt like agriculture was suddenly the source of all human conflict I was like I feel quite angry that some <laughs> some dickheads back in the day decided that we weren't going to forage anymore like I was just a bit I don't know I felt a bit frustrated because I just thought it's actually quite sad it's it's quite a sad transition but then I was like but you know what I mean 
they didn't for one they didn't know any better for two <laughs> for two it's that's obviously just for whatever reason been a natural evolution of society and we are where we are right now so i can't get caught up feeling like yeah uh, but but this is the thing i think it's actually it's really interesting because in some ways it does like it's weird but because in many ways this book you, you could reframe it and say it's actually about economics but it's also about the, the economics of sex in many ways <laughs> as in like in many cases it, yeah yeah because it, essentially it, it covers i think that the, the those two concepts of like how um relationships change at that point and how uh you know food and resources change at that point they are kind of like they are shifting ways of thinking and in that case where things become limited you it then almost becomes a zero-sum game you can't have one person have more than someone else have. but if you think about it some stuff like it in if you were to think you know and if you're you go non-monogamous and you're thinking you'd be like well why can't everybody have everything everyone can have fun everyone can be in you know can, can be as happy as they want yeah. but then if if you are in this zero-sum game then no you can't and then it, it reminds me of another book that like i actually listened to as an audio book that never, no one ever had the opportunity to laugh at the front cover of um <laughs> or to, to you know, give me a grief <laughs> with the front cover of it was actually called how to eat out and in this book he the the guy um is a famous food blogger but uh, food um, critic he talked about like um this, this thing called the city of thieves and the, the concept is the same because it's, it's essentially it's kind of like a game theory sort of thing but it, it's imagine if you lived in a city where everybody went out every night and stole something from someone else so everyone goes out and they steal something from someone else they come home and they say oh no i've been robbed but ah, never mind i've stole something from someone else you know worked out if all of a sudden you get one person moving to that city who stays home, someone moves, someone goes out to rob something. Oh, I can't steal anything from that person's house. So they go home empty handed. He brings down the whole community because essentially it's just that, that one person not having something else has a knock on effect and then someone else doesn't get. So it actually, you can't have the, you can't have the two systems work in tandem almost. And that's one of the real things mm -hmm. I, I thought I took from this as well is that like, like the idea of being non-monogamous, trying to be non-monogamous in a monogamous society, a society that values that principle so highly, it doesn't make sense. It's, it's, it didn't make sense to me. Well, let me put it that way. It, it, for me, that's the choice that I kind of, the, the conclusion I came to in my thinking that it, it, if you were to, to want to live that way in our society, there'd be so many barriers. You'd come across the, the different problems, like I said, things like childcare, things like um, the, the, the other issues that come with it, that it's almost worth the case of that. Actually, you kind of have to conform to the way that's broadly speaking, that society, you know, works essentially. Yeah. And, and that's, that was really interesting to me as well, because essentially it becomes a case of saying, well, actually, however you have to look around and think well how do things work here and how do i give myself the best advantage within them and it in our society i couldn't see that it was being non-monogamous at all mm. and it's interesting you should say that because i recorded an episode for last series um about like wanting to have your intimate needs met by more than one person both in kind of what we've been talking about around community like having a community and not putting all of your needs on one person but we also talked a bit about polyamory and um just the 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 barriers that even just like on a legal when it comes to things like marriage or wills or medical care like the structure and societal boundaries that are around that um and there are people i guess that that live that lifestyle that are trying to challenge that and i wonder what 
what does that look like in like a hundred years? Because I understand your point that it's almost like it's hard for the two to coexist because the structures need to allow for that. But if we are moving in that direction or if there are people that are want to want to kind of change that system, I don't know what that looks like in a yeah. hundred I mean, years. There's, there's so many things actually that, um, that really are just really, you know, constructs that have, have kind of stuck around for, I guess, past their useful date. If you if you want, and, mm. and um, I, I'd say that for now, even just really simply, if I was if you know, just say that there was a relationship of people, you know, uh, two men and two women, for instance, just as just as an argument, say living in a house, and they were you know a non-monogamous uh, grouping. If they were as a group, then you know you have two children, three children from that. When they go to school, who, when they say you know who do we write down for the parents, mother or father? Then it's like, okay, the mother might be an easy one because you know, <laughs> someone, someone would remember carrying the baby for nine months, etc. But when it comes to, him to mm. put father, oh, so you just put um, put John or Fred, and it, 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 like, no, no, which one is it? Because they they, they would want specifics. They would want to start have. There's a box on a sheet, not two boxes. There's so many different yeah. things. Of just like even so, which one would pick the child up from school? Would the parents be okay with it? Would the school be okay with that? All of these sorts of things. There's so many structures that would just not be designed in our society for that. Not to mention that like mm-hmm. even things like the stigmas, the um yeah, there's many of many of just the ways that people would react to to it. It make it puts you a, a kind of it would make life so much harder than you know than it would be to kind of just conform and do what everyone else expects. Which again, this is the really interesting thing though, because that's um that that kind of pressure is not something that is usually helpful to people. And it's really something where like, if people really feel that that's the way they want to live their lives, that kind of pressure can really be, I guess, especially if you don't even know that it's, if you think you're you're wrong for thinking you want this thing, then it makes it really, Mm. it's really, I guess, toxic basically, because you'd have to be be denying something that, you know, your, your biology is telling you to do. And yet at the same time, just, you know, comfortable in the in the, the way society wants you to behave when feeling like you don't have any agency yeah. there yeah and isn't it nuts really like that if we're if we're accepting this view from the book that actually I mean fundamentally what it's really what it's saying or part of what it's saying is like it is in our genetic makeup and our biology to not be monogamous if we're going to accept that view isn't it nuts that we've spent what thousands of years building that cage of which to put everybody in that now they can't get out of or now they're struggling and then they're struggling because they're like there's this there's this part of me that doesn't want to conform to this way of being but actually i'm stuck it's like you've you've built a rod for your own back is that the phrase yeah, yeah. as a society which yeah. is obviously a huge group of people but you know in the name of like power and control and owning stuff mm. <laughs> it's kind okay. of where we've landed i think it's a really interesting concept in general because there's there is this thing of how how going from you know becoming this agricultural society changed us so much and i i actually think that's something that like it's a really fascinating topic because once you kind of question it becomes a lot of other things you can question essentially the constructs that we have like created for ourselves there is an interesting thing of like it comes up in guns germs and steel of like we feel like we're farming the crops but in many 
many ways it could have been the case that the crops were farming us <laughs> and it's the case that like yeah yeah essentially that like the way that these things grew meant that people because if you like i guess the way it would have it would have come about would have been that like hey i eat this piece of corn and then i throw the husk over there or whatever it may be you, know, you can tell i'm not a farmer or an agricultural person you, you, you put something in some, somewhere you come back next year and it's grown hey that's interesting i do t- do twice as much this time oh my gosh look twice as much stuff grew then i come back another time and i say hey do you know what maybe i'll just hang around here and it's a case that like at that point am i farming the crop or is the crop farming me and then like is it <laughs> making me come back there and this is where the, that um again to reference another one i keep talking about guns gems and still is really interesting because it almost says that the geography the climate and the the, the landscape almost did farm societies to be the way that they are well i guess i'm trying to say is that humans humans never necessarily chose to be the way that they are it's almost like a, in some ways the societies are victims of circumstance that we didn't necessarily have control over and it's just people kind of running through the natural things that people do in those situations like um the, the really interesting one is that like how if you stay around similar sort of um, part of the equator, the, the the climate won't change so much, which means that you can have trade between different places on that same part of the um, like the same latitude between different places, yeah. which meant that you could have a trade between so as far as like Portugal and China, which is, is kind of nuts. It means you could have a trade route that works that way, but you couldn't have a trade route that went downwards because they you couldn't take courses through. The Sahara Desert because it's easy fly. I mean, so it meant that like there's certain parts of the world evolve the way that they did because of the geography, and like it really isn't. It's interesting the case that like if we were like thousand years time, would you even have the type of society that we have now if we were living in space? Because that's a completely it'd be a completely different set of challenges and things like that. Yeah, what I love about that is it reminds me of something I thought about while reading this book or was reminded of that like humans have just invented our own sense of self-importance and like to that idea of are we farming the crops or are the crops farming us everything that we do is framed around this idea that like we are the most important and significant part of the universe and sometimes I just think that's our fundamental flaw to be honest <laughs> to be honest yeah. and and even I think I've, I've said it just um is it nurture versus nature right and it's this idea that like nature is something separate from what we yes, this from yeah because yeah, it's you know, something man-made or is it natural and it's a case of like so is, is it, at what point did we did remove ourselves from nature and say that hey we're we're no no, no we're above that we're, we're different we're, and it's actually the case mm-hmm. that you know maybe we should think of ourselves as more natural than um yeah potentially we do yeah and actually i read a book called radical wholeness which i loved it was, there's a little a bit of it I struggled to like conceptualize because it's kind of just about how like you are whole and there is a feeling of wholeness and then you sit with the earth and then we're all whole together and so some of it I'm like okay I'm trying to just like get my head around this but he makes the exact same point which is we think that we are separate from the earth and from nature um, but everything that we do all of our biological processes breathing you know taking carbon dioxide taking in oxygen letting out carbon dioxide interacts with all of the natural world and that became us us and them or a boundary between self and nature when agriculture came about and we started putting fences around all of the stuff that we that was ours so it was the same point that was from this book i thought was interesting yeah yeah. and and i mean this is the thing we we keep um you know we don't want to kind of 
yeah, you know, agricultural revolution was good, you know, yeah, a lot more people, and stuff, and, yeah, you know, yeah, advances, yeah. Te- <laughs> technology and stuff improved. To- <laughs> you don't want to downplay it too yeah, much, yeah. but at the same time, it, you know, there, there's there's drawbacks, and I think that's really the, the point that we kind of have to, um, that, that for me, my kind of take home from all of it was that, that yes, there would be some pros to being like, you know, to, to being non monogamous, but it really, you kind of look at it on, on balance and think that actually, no, the, the that the pros of being of monogamy for me outweigh in our society far outweigh the cons of being and that's that's for me it was it was even having knowing that that was a discussion was really important in me i think for me being comfortable fully comfortable with being in a you know in a marriage essentially isn't just to say that like i think it's really good to to make to go into it and with a conscious decision and a conscious like knowledge that these are the the biological factors at play and these are the ways that human beings can be and this is the society we're in and then to kind of weigh it up based on that with all the information in front of me rather than trying to make a blind decision and wondering if it's chance or wondering if it's like um, luck or if something has gone wrong with me or my partner or something if anything went wrong in the future it's a case of looking at the whole picture I guess. Yes and that's a perfect summary because I was just about to say what's the kind of takeaway because I guess we're talking quite like about different like concepts and arguments and ideas. And I mean, and I love that, like, I'm so, this conversation, honestly, I'm just like buzzing. But um, <laughs> but I guess there's always that takeaway of like, what does that mean? Do you know what I mean? Like we can talk about agriculture and we can talk about monogamy or not, but like, what does that mean for what we understand about our own relationships? And I feel exactly like you, you know, you've just said, I don't want to run off and be like, I'm going to go and find all of the partners or like, you know, monogamy is not for me. And for, for some people it's not. Um, but for me, it was more about understanding potentially like, yeah, natural human drivers. And so when you hit an obstacle, how can we like understand each other better rather than just be like, hit, hit the, I struggle to describe it, but the sensation I get in my body is like, you're hitting yourself against something, but you don't know but it's like invisible. Yeah, it's, it's almost yeah, the restrictions that of, the society puts on us that don't feel like they are in, in sync with our biological instincts. If that, I think that's, yeah. that's what it is. And no, I really think that this is quite nice to come across a book for me that, um, that like, this is why this was one of the special ones for me because it, it changed the way that I see the world. It allowed me to question things that I didn't even know could be questioned. I think that's one of the really important things. Yes. It's isn't, isn't, I never knew that was even a question. I think most people don't really, um, kind of, we kind of just take it as a given. Say, yeah, one, one man, one woman, that's simple. I think that's actually kind of like a, a phrase. If someone said to me, one man, I'd probably say, one woman, <laughs> to kind of, you know, you know one of those, mm. those exercises that people do. Because it's kind of like that, there's two, yeah, there's two things go together. One man, one woman, one, and then you have children, et cetera. But the idea, the idea that you can kind of question things. And then I guess the things that, in terms of things that I would, um, it's nice to be able to, to almost understand them that from from here that like any if any like impulses in that direction or when people act uh, you know in, in people who who have uh, have strayed in their relationships you can kind of look at them and with with a different sort of light and actually be like well okay the, if it's my kind of if it's human nature to feel like everything is to feel that the world is a shared experience where things are free and things are then you can be a bit more charitable and in terms of how you forgive people in terms of how you kind of treat people in general I think it's almost like it's like that whole feeling empowered by knowledge I think that was the sense I got because sometimes I love reading this kind of stuff but I thought that I would get a bit 
caught up in it like a bit like oh I don't know I think I expected I would feel a bit overwhelmed knowing all of this information and feeling like like a bit stuck a bit trapped a bit like what do I do with this like it doesn't help me knowing it mm. but it was the complete opposite I felt like more empowered to go actually this is to to, to know what what did you say before like to ask questions you didn't even know you could question and to realize that actually the way that the world has been constructed around us we don't just have to accept or there are things about it we can question I don't know I find it quite empowering I just kind of go like oh yeah there's there's stuff to know here and it's interesting to then reflect on your own experiences in light of it I think yeah. and 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 I guess this is going a bit meta and this, this is one's a like I hope people don't think I'm crazy for this but essentially um one of the things that I think this and sapiens kind of revealed to me is that that the world to a certain extent and the concepts that we have constructed as humans it's like a shared fantasy in terms of like we have these ideas and these values and these principles that aren't actually necessarily grounded in reality and that we can kind of like we adopt them we adopt it we kind of build that, that, that the imaginary cage that we talk about it's like it's almost pre-constructed and we just take the pieces and we, we construct it in our own brain to a certain extent what the book does is it reveals that we are living in a a, fantasy, a constructed shared fantasy of what relationships should be like and I think once you realize that you're kind of looking at something that is a shared fantasy you can kind of take a step back and say well actually which bits of this are real and which bits of this are uh, of, of fiction, fictional fictional in many ways so once you can kind of do that it can kind of take takes I feel like it takes a lot of pressure because you're not necessarily living up to standards that are external that other people impose on you you can kind of think about which standards are important for you as an individual oh nailed it that was that was just like the perfect summary <laughs> amazing well thank you so much for spending the time with me talking through yeah, it no worries. honestly no worries. It's so interesting. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> and that concludes today's episode. I would love to know how you found it. Did you like this format? Did you like us getting a little bit more sort of philosophical based around the book? Those big question concepts around humanity and monogamy. Uh, send me a message, rachel at courageousau.co.uk to let me know what you thought. I'll see you again next week. <laughs>